As you're listening to this episode, we would love to hear your feedback. If you get a chance, please send us a message to Haas Podcasts with an S at berkeley.edu or join our discussion board using our Clever Podcast app. You can download the app at clever.fm. I'm Paulina Lee, and this is Here at Haas, a student-run podcast connecting you to all Haasies and the faculty that change our lives. This week's episode of Here at Haas is brought to you in partnership with two clubs at Haas, the Haas Venture Capital Club and the Berkeley Entrepreneurship Association, which partnered together recently for Berkeley's first ever pitch night. The objective was to create a safe and collaborative learning experience for future Berkeley VCs and current student founders. So students who participated got to experience what it was like to be a venture partner and participated as a peer investor, while student founders had the opportunity to practice and refine their pitch before the panel of student VC investors. So I'm excited to welcome today's guest, Stephen Lee, who was chosen as the winner of Pitch Night for his company, gear to go Stephen just graduated from the full-time program. So double congrats on graduating and winning Pitch Night. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Paulina. It's great to be here. How's your week going? It's going well. Super busy Monday. We're in the midst of moving into a new house down in the South Bay and also trying to get our company squared away for the summer. So nonstop action down here in the South Bay. It's been awesome. (laughs) Lots going on, of course. Awesome. Let's start off. Would love for you to share a little bit about yourself, where you're from and how you got to Haas. Originally from Tacoma, Washington. And actually just found out that it's been well over a decade since I last spent significant time in the Pacific Northwest. For undergrad, I went to West Point. That is the U.S. Military Academy and served my country as an Army Infantry Officer after graduating from the Military Academy. Spent six years in the Army, really loved my time in the military, learned a tremendous about leadership, served in the infantry and deployed to Afghanistan in 2017. After that deployment, my wife and I were talking, deployments can be extremely difficult for family members. And so my wife and I, we made the decision to get out of the military and transition out. She got a job down here in the South Bay, which made my decision as I thought about transferring pretty easy. Ended up just applying to two business schools and landed here at Haas. Feel extremely fortunate to have landed here at Haas. Learned a tremendous amount about entrepreneurship and also the tech ecosystem here at Haas and really... I think on top of that, just felt extremely fortunate to have such a great community. People that supported me, people that were friendly, people that boosted us when we were looking for things and have spent the last two years taking advantage of everything that Haas has had to offer and and really came into my own as a business leader, I think, over the past two years. And I'm excited to see what the future holds moving forward. I love that. First off, thank you for your service. And we've had a few veterans on the show before. And I always love to hear how you chose West Point and how you chose that military career path. Yeah. You know, I was really young when 9-11 happened, but I think that moment for me personally will be indelible or was indelibly marked on my person watching the towers fall. And then really over the next seven or eight years, seeing people to come to Washington where I was born and raised is right next to Joint Base Lewis-McChord and watching young men and women selflessly serve their country and deploy out of JBLM, I thought was really inspiring for me. As I was thinking about college, I wanted to pay my own way through college and also wanted to be a leader in the military. I felt that West Point was going to allow me to do both of those things simultaneously. 
Additionally, as I was at West Point and thinking about graduating, I decided to go in the, the Army Infantry, which is the guys on the, the front lines, if you will. I felt inspired at West Point to be a leader of those soldiers, be an Army officer for the people that are actually doing the fighting, and felt really just inspired by the daily example of every single soldier that I came across in their selfless service to this country. No, that's really inspiring. And I saw that you were on the parachute team, so would love for you to explain you know, what that part of the army, what the parachute infantry regiment does and how that works for some of us civilians. Yeah. So there are actually two separate things that you mentioned. There is the the West Point parachute team and then the U.S. Army Airborne. Both involve jumping out of perfectly good airplanes, but actually (laughs) could not be more different. So I'll start with the first one. At West Point, we have a parachute team. So West Point is very hard and difficult undergrad to go to, not a lot of partying, but Mm-hmm. You do get to do some awesome things. And so at West Point, every day after class for several years, I packed up my parachute and then ran out to a field and hopped on a helicopter or a plane and jumped out of a plane every day after school, as long as the weather was good. It was an incredible experience. And it was actually instrumental in the story of Gear to Go as well, because that's where I met my co-founder was on during West Point parachute team tryouts. And we jumped out for several years. We jumped out of parachutes or jumped out of planes every day after class looking into each other's eyes, which I feel like is how we built such a strong bond that's going to continue us into the future. The Army Airborne is not as glamorous, but it, it is also, you know, I served as a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne, which involves getting to the ground as fast as possible without necessarily trying to break soldiers. So mm-hmm. not as glamorous or as fun, but certainly just as important to national security. And and I think some of the paratroopers, I'm, I'm a bit biased, but the soldiers I served with in the, the airborne community and their army are some of the best soldiers that, that they have. I guess back to the origin story of doing the parachute team at West Point, how, what drew you to jumping out of planes? Because that's not something that everyone does during their undergrad there. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I don't know if you've ever skydived, but <laughs> I have. <laughs> it's a tremendous amount of fun. It, it's an opportunity to break up kind of the monotony of going to class and waking out and mandatory workouts every morning and every afternoon. And was also a, a great opportunity to do a little bit of traveling and represent West Point. I think the parachute team is one of the biggest draws about West Point. It's featured in a lot of the West Point advertisements and, and things like that. And so having the opportunity to represent my school and it being such a public facing figure, I think was a tremendous opportunity and a, a great chance to learn and grow as a 19 year old kid to represent your school. Definitely. And then you joined the military for just over six years and you had a lot of different roles. You talked a little bit about your deployment to Afghanistan. Would love for you to share which one of your roles in the military or any experiences that you thought were most formative for you today? Yeah, I think they were all unique and different and challenging in their own way. I I think one of the most formative experiences that I have, I served as the chief of staff, if you will, for uh, what's called a company. So about 160 soldiers. In that role, as a chief of staff, I was in charge of a seven or eight soldier contingent and was really brought in to adjust some culture issues that unit had before really had a challenge from the perspective that they weren't performing as high as they necessarily needed to do. And coming into that difficult environment, what I really learned or what I've taken from most from me or from that experience is basically the power of investing in individuals. There's one soldier Mm -hmm. in particular, kind of a private who had a problem with authority. And it wasn't until I demonstrated that I cared about this kid as a person that would really unlock the key to his potential. And investing 
time and energy into learning and understanding about him and his family and what made him tick? Did we unlock his potential as a soldier? I think that lesson is the critical lesson that I learned in the military and invest in people. And I will say that my proudest moment in the military was actually pinning on sergeant rank to that soldier who had gone from being such a troublemaker to he became the all-star of our company of 160 soldiers. So that's something that I'll always keep with me and cherish is that moment. I think it's a great example how these experiences we have, whether they're on sports teams or in the military or at work, can really define how you view like our place in the world. And I think working with people, influencing people, and to your point, like building up and helping someone turn around the way that, you know, they interact with other people and really achieve their potential can be really impactful for sure for you and both for that person. Also wanted to, you know, dig into you mentioned you and your wife made this decision to leave the military. But when you left, how did the MBA play into your decision? Why was pursuing an MBA important to you upon leaving? Yeah. Like truth be told, we made the decision a little bit spur of the moment. I'm a meticulous planner, (laughs) but coming back from the deployment, we knew that we needed to make a change. We had a pretty tough deployment in particular for my wife. It was important for her that I got out of the military, made the decision to get out and had about three to six months to get out and had no idea what to do next. I knew that the military teaches you critical skills, but doesn't necessarily, it is not immediately apparent how to apply those skill sets to a civilian context. And so I felt Mm -hmm. that the two years, the two year break, if you will, that the MBA would afford me was going to be a great time to learn and think and reflect upon my experiences and actually go about charting the next path. And so I think I made the decision to get out of the military on a Monday. And the next Friday, I was taking the GMAT for the first time. And two weeks after that, I had applied to Haas. So I feel really extremely fortunate to have been granted admissions. There's a couple members of the Vets Club, the class of 2020, that were instrumental, I think, in helping Steve get into Haas. And so for them, I am internally grateful. That's very impressive. A lot of us spend years just contemplating our GMAT and then a few times in taking it. So congrats. (laughs) Yeah, I will say don't chalk that up as Steve being someone extraordinary, just a little bit of luck and certainly a lot of help and mentorship from the great vets club that we have here at Haas. Definitely. And before starting at Haas, you actually did a pre-MBA internship. Tell me how that was and what was it like in that first transition to civilian life? Yeah. The Army has a a great program called the Career Skills Program. And so I, although I made the decision to get out of the military essentially in September, I actually didn't transition, like complete the transition until the following October. And so there were about six months where I was active duty working every day in the military. And then I had about a three-month transition period where I was able to do an internship prior to starting the MBA. Worked for a startup called Beachhead Solutions, which is a San Jose-based startup where they've actually been around for quite a while, but they are basically provide cybersecurity solutions to companies that were doing remote work. Seen an increased traffic since they since COVID, but essentially what I did is the project was to do a competitive analysis across their entire industry and, and see what other companies were were doing and thinking about and where their product lacked some capabilities vis-a-vis the competitors. I spent three months, really learned a tremendous amount and actually was inspired by the level of entrepreneurship, the go-getter attitude that I saw at that company. And I think that was instrumental in my ultimate decision to pursue entrepreneurship myself post-Haas. Well, let's talk about Haas. So you did your pre-MBA internship and then you started at school. What was the most surprising thing when you got onto campus? 
I think the most surprising thing on campus and folks in the military are outstanding. Folks in the United States Army infantry are incredible people, but they don't smile very often. They're nice, but they're nice in their own unique way. I think the most startling thing, and I, I turned to a fellow vet who I think it might have been an Air Force guy. I turned to him and said, wow, people here at Haas just smile and are so friendly all the time. I think that was the most shocking thing. It's just <laughs> everyone is so bubbly and excited. And initially I was taken aback. I thought it wasn't truly authentic. I think the more time I spent on the Haas campus after orientation week throughout that first year, I, I realized that Haas does a great job selecting its full-time students and evening weekend and undergrads as well. Folks that align with our core values. And that's something that I am extremely grateful for to have those two years to meet and connect with that network. I agree. It's like anyone you meet, it's just so easy, even if you've never met them before, if whether you're on campus in a club out on the street, it's just so easy to strike up a conversation and people are just actually really genuine and nice. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It took some getting used to, but outstanding. Right. I think one thing people may not realize about business school is that what you do outside of the classroom is just as important and impactful as the courses themselves, if not more in some cases. So while at Haas, you were involved in a number of different clubs and activities. Can you share what clubs you were involved in and what experiences you got the most out of? Yeah, I think two that are inextricably linked. So I, I headed up Vets Club Admissions. So I mentioned a little earlier, I was extremely fortunate to have connected with a few vets that were really instrumental to getting me in to Haas. I wanted to pay that forward. And so I took on the admissions role from the Hots Vet, Vets Club. We've gone from having two vets, I think four, four or five years ago, to having over 20 vets involved in the, the full-time business school program. And we are continuing to see that growth year over year. It's something that takes a tremendous amount of work, but it's something we're super proud of. And so the initiative that I kind of spearheaded was to try to get more diversity into our incoming vets class. And it's something that we're still continuing to work on. But we had one female vet in the class of 2021 and boosted that number by 300%, which is still, if you do the math, is only three female vets. But it's definitely a start and something that we had a female veteran replace me. Livia Johnson's her name has just done a tremendous amount of work to try to continue to boost those numbers. Intertwined with that, I was really heavily involved as a student interviewer and actually continuing to identify and select and, and interview for folks that kind of aligned with our defining principles, folks that are going to continue to make Haas a special place that it is. And so I think those two activities, especially that first year, is what I was most heavily involved with. You said earlier, too, that Beach had a lot of impact on your decision to pursue entrepreneurship. So what attracted you to that space? And how did you start exploring that at Haas? Yeah, I love my time at Beachhead. But I, I think there was a little bit of FOMO going on. And just like everybody else, I did consulting recruiting. Yeah, don't <laughs> hold it against me. No, I'm just kidding. Consultants are, are outstanding individuals. Most of my best friends are going into consulting. But I, I got a consulting offer that disappeared about a week before I was supposed to start due to COVID, which kind of left me up a creek without a paddle for recruiting for an internship, given the fact that I got that email on May 5th. And so did a hard pivot, landed a healthcare job, and also took a part-time job with a two-person startup. I was the first basically hired employee, a couple of Berkeley PhDs that just have had some incredible ideas and really needed a business person to help shepherd their ideas into fruition. That combined with the experience at Beachhead and the experience with the consulting firm rescinded my offer 
reoriented me that second year to pursue entrepreneurship. And so I totally reorganized how I was thinking about my MBA and decided that entrepreneurship was what I wanted to do and spent the last year or the second year really focused on on all things entrepreneurship to try to get my idea to become a, a reality. And I think a lot of people, when you look at entrepreneurship from outside in, you're like, oh, this person runs everything on their own. They have a lot of autonomy, but I don't know if people truly realize how much work it takes and how much blood and sweat and tears goes into it and how much sacrifice you actually end up doing too. So I'm always curious when I talk to entrepreneurs, what was that aha moment for you that was like, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur or this is the life for me versus to your point, the life of consulting or working at a corporate job? Yeah, I think the aha moment came for me during Kurt Byer's entrepreneurship class. So one of Haas's flagship classes is entrepreneurship. You have a day called Darwin Day. And you have to pitch your, your idea in three minutes or less. Polina, my idea was not selected. I did mm-hmm. not win Darwin Day with Gear to Go. It, it, I did, could not convince my classmates. And at that moment, I said, we come hell or high water, we're going to make this an idea become a reality because I believe in it. And so I spent, that was in October or I think September or October and spent the next kind of three or four months actually going about and recruiting a team of individuals that were like-minded, found some engineers, started putting some ideas together. And then come January, went all in with a, a team of Hossies into the Lean Launchpad course. And really throughout that course, decided that this was an idea worth pursuing post Hoss. We did over 150 interviews and identified our customer segments and our product market fit and got the beta up. And seeing people on the beta and seeing people use and, and benefit from gear to go was really like a secondary moment where I said, not only is this what I want to do, but this has legs and can actually become a real thing. And let's take a step back. So tell me the origin story of gear to go How did this idea come about? And what did those first brainstorming sessions look like? As all good ideas, I think, come to us. They came over several beers on a Tahoe trip my first year as an MBA student. My co-founder, Gavin, he came out to visit us in Tahoe and over beers. We were actually talking about how hard it was to connect with our communities in the Army. That is, in the Army, you move every year or two years. And we're we're both way into the outdoors and finding communities of people that want to go rock climbing or go skiing. We, we actually struggled to find those throughout our various moves. And we were trying to come up with a way that would make that easier. And so that, that was the genesis of the idea. Fast forward 10 months to Kurt Byer's entrepreneurship class. And I called up Gavin and said, hey, I need an idea to pitch. I'm stealing. And it was Gav's idea. I said, I'm stealing your idea. I hope that's okay. <laughs> Gav said, sure, you can steal my idea on the one term that if you end up doing this full time, I'm all in because it's my, it was my idea originally. And so that was kind of the genesis of gear to go. We've since kind of evolved. Not only are we interested in kind of the connected community component, but also interested in making communities that are more equitable and sustainable. That is communities where the barriers to entry to activities such as skiing or rock climbing or woodworking, that you could participate in these activities without having to spend incredible amounts of money on various types of gear. More sustainable in that, we think that 
not everybody needs their own pressure washer or their own power drill or their own set of climbing equipment to enjoy those activities. And what do you think has been the most surprising thing as you've gone about bringing gear to go to life? I'll probably not be very novel here. I I think what has been most surprising, and I'm sure other entrepreneurs have told you this as well, but it's just simply how much of a tremendous amount of work it takes to get a company off the ground. Everything, as a founder with an early stage startup, everything is your job. Everything is up to you to make the ultimate decision. And we've been blessed to have a tremendous amount of teammates. One point or another, I've had 14 different Hossies work on my idea in various capacities. <laughs> Even then, with a tremendous amount of support, incorporating takes a lot of time. Going out and having conversations about fundraising takes a lot of time. Getting your beta on the website just takes a lot of time. And if you're not the one that's pushing on it, if you or your co-founder aren't the ones that are doing it, it, it simply won't get done. And so it's uh, we're blessed. We've got five Hossies working for me this summer, two engineers and a co-founder. So we're blessed to have a robust team but also know that it's we just have a tremendous amount of work in, in front of us. For sure. If you're up for it, would love for you to give us your 60-second pitch that helps you clinch pitch night on gear to go and why we should believe in your company. I'd be happy to, Paulina. Thanks for asking. There are 330 million people that live in the United States. There, there are also an estimated 80 million power drills in this country. The average power drill is used for an average of 30 minutes before it's thrown in the trash. And and so the question that I I would pose is, do you really need a power drill? With Gear2Go, we're trying to answer this question. Right now, if you don't own a power drill yourself but need to put a hole in a wall, you have three options. You, You can buy a power drill, you can borrow a power drill, or you can rent a power drill. If you buy a power drill, you're gonna spend a lot of money and you're only going to use it for 30 minutes on average before it becomes obsolete, you throw it away. If you borrow a power drill, you're limited by your friends and family. That is, if you don't know somebody that lives close enough to you borrow from, you can't, that's not a tenable option. If you could rent a power drill, but what we found is that finding the right rental gear is expensive, time consuming, and extremely inconvenient. With gear to go, what we're hoping to do is create a peer-to-peer rental marketplace for hardware and sporting goods to fix this dilemma. If you want a power drill, you search power drill and you find 10 to 15 people that already own that power drill within five blocks. That's our vision for a year to go. And that's what we're trying to accomplish. Our company's mission is to create communities that are more connected, equitable, and sustainable. And we think that our team has what it takes to make that vision a reality. Love it. It also makes me think your company, there's been this surgence of these communities called like buy nothing communities, where it's like sharing of different things. Usually it's home goods, but creating a community around that is more sustainable. It's more equitable because it's open to everyone. It's also free. And as someone who has acquired a lot of gear, I love this idea of being able to just lean on a community to not have to purchase everything new or waste those dollars and put strain on the overall environment for the creation of new. So I think it's a great idea. What are your goals for, call it the next six months for gear to go? Yeah. Before I dive into goals, I just, I just want to say yeah. we, we love both types of people. And so <laughs> the buy nothings are certainly great by us. But Polina, if you want to hop on to gear to go as someone who has tons of stuff, we would love to have you as well. 
So <laughs> it takes two to tango. That's very true. Goals for our company. As mentioned, we, we've got a great team this summer. We've got two full stack engineers, my co-founder, and then we've recruited five Hossies that are working for all intents and purposes free for us. And, and we've got exciting things to come. So our goal for the next three months is to get a thousand users onto our platform. During our beta, we had over 150 Hossies sign up. We launched total exclusively to the Hoss community, had 150 Hossies sign up and conducted over 30 transactions. This summer, between now and August, we're trying to get a thousand users onto the platform and conduct over a hundred transactions. To get a thousand users on our platform, we're laser focused on the broader Berkeley community. So we're opening it up not just to Haas, but we're broadening it to the wider UC Berkeley community and ultimately to the city of Berkeley itself. That is our goal. We, we're convinced that if we can get a thousand users onto our platform, conduct over a hundred transactions, we're convinced that we can, towards the end of the summer, actually put together a friends and family round and, and successfully raise a, a pre-seed round of about $500,000. With that money, we feel really confident that we could hit the gap or hit pedal to the metal with our go-to-market strategy and begin to aggressively expand out into the East Bay initially and then into the broader Bay Area as we near the six-month mark from here. And so that's our goal. Laser focus right now on Berkeley to achieve network effects and then slowly begin our expansion to the greater Bay Area once we receive some additional funding and resources. I think your timing is perfect too, right? If we think about what I'm hoping is the end of this pandemic, people are doing more things outdoors. They want to do all the things, but they might not have all the stuff to do. Having this timed perfectly with the pandemic ending, hopefully, knock on wood, it's just going to be such a great opportunity for you guys. So I'm so excited. Yeah, we certainly think COVID actually has been a tailwind for us throughout. So th there was a time where it was impossible to get a bike. It was also impossible to get a, a sleeping mat. So true. In, surfboard in shortage. <laughs> that surfboard, exactly. And so everybody during COVID wanted to do outdoor stuff and demand outstrip supply. Coming out of COVID, somebody bought that snow, that surfboard, somebody bought that bike, and now it's sitting, you know, in their garage or in their San Francisco apartment. They're going to also want to rent out that surfboard or that bike. And so we think that from a supply perspective. It's going to be a huge boon for us. And we think from a demand perspective, when you try surfboarding or you try mountain biking or you try woodworking for the first time, most people find that they love participating in those activities and want to continue to do them. So if they experimented with something during COVID, we're optimistic that they'll continue to do so post-COVID. Definitely. And now that you've graduated, we've also been collecting advice from our graduates and kind of people in their senior years, as you could say, for the incoming class of Hossies who will be starting in a couple months here. So I'd love for you to share any advice for the incoming class. I would say participate in every possible trek you can do. I actually wasn't out of the army until October of my first year at Haas and so missed out on a couple of treks. Opted not to go on a winter trek because we were saving up for spring break and COVID hit unfortunately. So I would say go on every single trek you possibly can. If you're a first year or a second year student, same thing if you're an evening weekend or EMBA, if you could swing it, connect with your classmates as much as possible in a non-academic setting, I think, because the strength of the bonds that you make 
not just on treks, but on non-academic related activities, I think are going to be the bonds that sustain and build our network and community moving into the future. That's a great point. I have a fellow Hasi who talks about, you know, business school is kind of like buying into this lifelong country club. And while you're here in person, what you want to do is meet as many people as you can and experience them to your point, like outside of the classroom, understand who they really are and have all those late night talks. I'm finally doing houseboats for the first time this year since last year, pandemic, the year before my first year, I opted out because I was like, why would I get on a boat with all these strangers for two nights straight? But I 100% agree. Like these are the moments that are going to be formative in your experience at Haas. And the more that you invest in the people, the more you'll get out of your experience. So I love that. Yeah, 100% agree. Well, we like to close out our interviews with a little bit of this or that. So we'd love to run through a list just so we learn a little bit more about you outside the classroom. So Kindle or hardcover, softcover, physical books? Uh, I have been reading books recently on my Kindle, but I prefer hardcover if I can cheaply acquire the book itself. (laughs) Sorry, that was a naughty answer. No, I feel you. I have regular books that I'm reading, but I also borrow a lot of books for free on my Kindle. So it's the easiest, cheapest way to get books. So I agree. What are you reading? I am currently, don't tell anybody this. I know we're on a public podcast, but (laughs) I am currently reading the final Harry Potter book because my wife and I recently watched the movie and I have never read the final Harry Potter. What? I know. Don't hold it against me. (laughs) I think that's great. That's great summer reading. (laughs) It's it's like escapism at its finest. For sure. You just spend a whole two years like reading business case after business case. I think Harry Potter is (laughs) great. Yeah. Don't tell anybody though. We're on a podcast. So do you listen to podcasts or what do you like to listen to? I love podcasts. I've learned just a tremendous amount on podcasts. I think they're a great resource for continued learning. Or just if you want to learn about something random like UFOs or anything else. UFOs, I feel like, are a very hot topic these days. There seems to be a lot more docs out than normal. <laughs> yeah, I, I recently listened to a podcast on UFOs. So, <laughs> which What is it called? I can't remember the name of it. It was some NPR special or something, public radio. It was good. Great. And for vacation, are you a beach person or a mountain person? both. But if I had to choose between one of the two, I would choose mountains. Snowboarding is pretty much my favorite activity on the planet. Oh, I love it. Any last words or parting thoughts as we close out for today? Yeah, just want to say thank you, Paulina, for hosting me. I've listened to several of these and will continue to listen to more here at Haas interviews as we move forward. I think it's a great thing that you and the rest of the team are doing to get the word out for Haas and and connect to others. I also want to just extend a thank you to the Haas Venture Capital Club for giving me the opportunity to participate in Pitch Deck. It was a tremendous learning experience and felt like I I really benefited from participating. So thank you to them as well. Congrats again on graduating. Congrats on winning Pitch Night and everything that you have going on with Gear2Go. It's been great hearing your story and hearing the origin story of Gear2Go. So best of luck with that as well. Thanks. Have a good night. And thanks for tuning into Here at Haas. Know a Haasie that has a story to tell? Nominate them on our website, haaspodcast.org. And if you enjoyed this week's episode, please subscribe and leave us a rating and review. And don't forget to share this podcast out with your favorite bears. Until next time, I'm Paulina Lee, and this is Here at Haas.